Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Well, it's interesting that that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not. Even though that's what should happen, that's not what's going to happen. And you listen to some of the guys that, well, you know, if you look at what's going on in Europe and things like that, then, you know, there are little, well, go to Dearborn, Michigan and see what's what's going on in that community. And I'll tell you what, that's our future because you go try to, you know, even walk the streets as a normal white guy, you're taking your life into your own hands. There are no-go sections of Dearborn, Michigan. It's because back in the, uh, geez, what was it? Probably the early 2000s, they brought over, you know, that all that unrest was going on in Somalia. And so they're, they're rather than taking care of it there, you know, the politicians basically said, well, let's just bring them all here. And they brought tens of thousands of Somalis and plopped them all into that little area right there in Michigan. And now, guess who their representative in Congress is? It's uh, Ilhan <laughs> Omar, and she is about the most anti-American person I've ever I've ever heard of, let alone in Congress. I mean, she's yep. just anti-Semitic. It's crazy. Well, the the whole point is, and, and especially coming from New York, you know, with mm-hmm. Ellis Island there, you know, if you look at the turn of the what was it, the 20th century, back in the 1900s, when when hundreds and hundreds of, of, and thousands even, of migrants were coming through Ellis Island, you know, they were coming to America to be Americans. They were yes. coming here for the American dream. But back then, there were no safety nets. There were no handouts. You basically, you know, you got into the United States. First of all, you were tested. So there yes. were, you know, if you had tuberculosis or something like that, they put you on a ship and you went back to where you were going, like that fast. And there was no messing around. It's like, you're not going to come into this country and infect it with something. Well, that's not happening now either, and which is a major problem. You know, bacteria-resistant tuberculosis is being reintroduced into the United States. So get ready, folks. (laughs) But the bottom line is, if you're coming here to become an American and to work your way up and become a business owner and be a contributor to society, welcome. You are the type of people we need. If you are coming here and then demanding that you get put up in a four-star hotel, and then <laughs> the, the greatest thing was- That's they a were, head Some of these people were saying, what was, what, it's like, it, there's a place in Manhattan called Billionaire Roll. Uh, yes. You know where I'm talking about? Where is that? I want to say, is that by something place? Well, for 90, I, I, I don't want to misspeak. I yeah. was a Bronx guy. I wasn't a Manhattan guy. Oh, right. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> Come on, Bronx, so man, it's like the Bronx is right across the the, the bridge from Manhattan. And <laughs> it is. You only went to Manhattan for shows and, and, you know, you wanted a decent night out in the town. Well, you can't have that anymore because you got restaurants with like these little boxes outside and you got homeless people in there shooting up drugs, smoking weed and doing all types of absurd things. So you can't really do that anymore. I think you're more safe in the outer boroughs than Manhattan. Oh, isn't that crazy? Yeah, I, oh, I just, um, yeah, I, I I look at some of these amazing cities like New York and San Francisco and L.A., yeah, you know, Portland, 
Portland's one of the most beautiful cities I've ever been to, but it is a cesspool. It is. I mean, I, you've got people defecating on the streets. You got people shooting up drugs. It, it's like, you know, there's there's sections of the beach in in California that you you just can't go to because there's so many needles in the sand that you know you run the risk of getting all sorts of injuries. You know, you step on one of those needles, it's uh, HIV infected or something. And it's like, oh my gosh. You know, I mean, it's not widespread, but there's still sections of that that city that you just cannot go to because of, there's so many problems there. And I, I don't know what it is. It's like the politicians that are in some of those areas, it's like they, they don't have enough pride in their community and in their, you know, in their country and as being an American they don't have enough pride to actually deal with the problems. They they just kind of put a band-aid on it. You know, like um, I, I just heard in British Columbia, Canada, they're legalizing, you know, personal use of even fentanyl. That's ridiculous. And, yeah. And thinking that, you know, that's that's what's going to, you know, cure their, they say because the, the most dangerous thing is somebody that's shooting up cocaine or something and they're isolated. They're by themselves. They're hiding it. And so, yeah, because they'll OD and then they can't get help when they've OD'd. Well, first of all, I'm like, well, that's called natural selection. And, but second of all, I mean, I, you know, I understand some of these people are, have these addictions, but it, it's also a personal choice. There's no, there's no accountability anymore. And there's no pride in your own community and in your own, I mean, you grew up in the Bronx. It's like you, you know. I saw the pride that you said. I I grew up in the Bronx. Like that yep. is a that is a source of pride for you. Great pizza. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's like you know what? I grew up in Idaho. I don't live in Idaho. I haven't lived in Idaho in I don't know forty years. But I'm still an Idaho boy. And I'll tell you what. When that uh, you know that quadruple murder happened at, at the University of Idaho, I used to live in I lived in Moscow, Idaho for ten years. Okay. I'm like I took that personal. I haven't been there in fifty years. Well, forty-five years, but still, that that's part of my that's part of my heritage. That's part of where I grew up. I'm like, yeah, that's that's personal. If I can do something to help that community solve that case, I I, I called the right. um, the Moscow uh, PD. Or I didn't call him. I sent him an email, uh-huh. and I said, hey, I have this uh, DNA collection system. If I can help with this case, I'm there. I will load one up. I will drive up there and help you guys. Never heard back from him, but you know what? But the body, I mean, the, the, the reason I'm bringing that up is there seems to be almost like this surrender mentality where these people are coming into these communities. They don't belong there. They're not contributing. They, in fact, they are so detrimental. I, I'm sorry. If I'm going to walk into a 7-Eleven and there's like needles and human feces right there at the door, I mean, I, that's just disgusting. And right, you know, and and yet it's widespread in some of these uh, bigger communities. Well, so let's let's, let's dive into this, Jared. Let's. Uh, it's a multifaceted problem. So you said surrendering of the community. Let's see why communities are being surrendered. It all starts at the top. Your local elected officials. Now, we can talk New York. We could talk San Francisco. I mean, I'll even throw in Florida as a little bit of a curveball. And the problem is, is that, in my opinion, 
people want to stay in power. They want to be the guy or girl calling the shots. Case in point. Let's look at San Francisco. Great, great city, but it's kind of weird that some psycho broke into the Speaker of the House's residence and with a hammer struck Mr. Paul Pelosi. Now, hats off to the boys in blue that responded there and did their best to take this individual into custody. Now, you think that would raise a few flags, you know? Now, if it would happen to, let's say, a guy like me or you, do we think we would have gotten the response in jail time that this individual got? Probably not. Is he in custody for a remanded without bail, even though that's a bail reform state? Yeah, he is. Speaker Pelosi. You understand? So until it starts affecting the hierarchy, these these politicians, and again, I, I hope Mr. Pelosi has a very fast, speedy, healthy recovery. Uh, my prayers are with him and, and, and former Speaker Pelosi. It's just that it's no longer, let's bring them in. We want the votes. Let's, let's cater to, to the, to these individuals because in turn, it's like, you're almost like, I hate to say it. It almost sounds like you're buying the vote. You're going to give someone food, shelter, a Metro card, whatever. And when the election comes around, that's a vote. You know what I'm saying? But now you've enticed this behavior over such a long period of time. Well, now you can't control it. Now you're having these problems. Another case in point, look at New York City. I was part of what you would call the mass exodus out of New York. And that was because of these hands-off approach to law enforcement. Now, I saw videos towards the end of my career. It became really disgusting after I retired where cops are, and I don't care if it's a 200 degree day in August with 400% humidity. Of course, I'm being facetious here, but we're not going to throw a bucket of water on a cop. You're just not going to do that. Because one, whether you feel it's a prank or, oh, it's a hot day or whatever silly narrative you want to spin, the entitlement that you could do that and get away with it is where it gets bad. Oh, it's you so disrespectful. It is. It totally is. And, you know, it's condoned. It's condoned by the local officials, leadership. And that's why you have such a mass exodus and decline in law enforcement in certain cities and states because all the experience is leaving. Why am I going to put my pension, my family's livelihood on the line if I get into or even am around? I don't even have to be directly involved. I'm around a gray area or something that for that day during that news cycle is not optically good. Well, then I'm guilty till proven innocent, which is not how this country works. That's the double standard, though. And that's why you see a lot of fast retirements. Some people are even vesting out and resigning and going to other places when law enforcement is respected, where it is appreciated. And like I said, it's the policies. When you turn around and you entice criminals and you re-victimize the victim, what are you doing? That is not justice reform. I don't care what scholar, I will gladly debate this, being in the trenches for 20 years, I challenge this. Anyone listening to this podcast, please, or Jared, if you want to host another segment, I'd be glad to come back 
And let's really, let's, you can throw all the statistics about proactive policing. I love this one, stop and frisk. It wasn't stop and frisk. It was stop, question, and frisk. You had to have reasonable suspicion coupled with other compelling factors, and you're not going in the pockets. It's the outermost garments. But again, the media, the politicians of the world, spin it in such a negative reality that, oh my God, cops are out there stopping mostly minority black and brown community members, and they're being maliciously targeted. That's just a false narrative. That's not what's happening. Let's talk about the bigger discussion, shall we? Let's take New York, for example. I did 20 years there. Shootings and homicides was normally, in my experience, in the commands that I worked in, okay, male, black, male, Hispanic, shoots, stabs, whatever, another male, black, male, Hispanic. So let's let's dive into that problem, okay? Nobody wants to have that uncomfortable conversation. What services are you giving the community? You're defunding the police because they're trying to combat the violence even with the restrictions you're putting on them. But then you're turning around and not addressing the root problem. Well, now you're just perpetuating the cycle. So somebody who shoots somebody or stabs somebody or lets rounds go and they get arrested, depending on their age, they're out the next day. That's kind of scary. That's I mean, I read a New York Post article, Jared, and uh, the, the, the picture of the post says, we're not even trying. 69% of criminal cases, including 82% of misdemeanors, tossed out because of justice reform. Tell tossed me. Out. Tossed how, out. How, tossed out. This is, again, and I refer you to the New York Post. This is, it's on the front page. I actually printed out the article. And it's it's scary. And another statistic I saw, excuse me, uh, I believe it was on a, a major media outlet. It says, murders by multiple, multiple juvenile offenders. In 2019, I believe it was somewhere around the approximately 82. In 2020, 136. That is up 66%. Juveniles. Yeah. Kids killing kids. But let's defund the police because the police are the problem. And until this false narrative stops, and that, again, goes up to your political leadership, and there's some accountability to the people who enacted the bail reform, the Raise to Age Act, when when those people are held accountable and we can restructure it, hey, I'm all for fair treatment under the law for everybody, okay? Because you shouldn't have a person, whether they're economic, if they're a celebrity, for example, or their economic status is A, and you and I are average shows and we're B, well, why should that guy be out in an hour and I'm talking surrender, arrest, through central booking or arrest processing facility, seeing the judge and out the door. Why? Because he's a major celebrity? But a guy like, God forbid, me or you or someone like us, it's a day or two in jail. Like, I understand you want to find that balance, but it should be a measured, a measured, excuse me, measured approach. And you should invite both sides to the table, not just defense counsels, activist groups, in my opinion, and throw this whole pink brush stroke you know, and all right, everyone gets out. You had a guy get arrested a hundred times and he's still committing crimes and you're still letting him out. That's a problem. (laughs) That's a bad, that's a serious problem. Oh, I actually heard that um, the gangs have caught on to this so well 
And, you know, yeah. the gangs and the cartels, these people are, in many ways, some of the best business people in the country because they adjust so quickly. They, yes. You know, like gangs, they, they realized that especially juveniles will be out so fast that they're right. using the juveniles to do all the crime and they're just kind of directing them. But the actual people committing the crimes are juveniles because they know there's going to be no repercussions if they get caught. That is correct. In fact, last night um, when I was watching the news, uh, there was some type of apprehension. I, I think it was a shooting or something. The NYPD got the guy. And I want to say that he said it as he's in handcuffs being put into a car, memory serves me in some in substance that it's okay, I'll be out soon. Like almost mocking the fact yeah. that he, this crime got caught and is going to be out like like that. And yeah. that's a real morale, in my opinion, being a cop for 20 years. That's a real morale like breaker because here you are trying to do the right thing for the community to which you work in and serve. And it's almost to a point of no there. And yeah. again, at some point, somebody has to like, all right, let's get to the table and let's figure this out. What's going to happen? In fact, there was a, a show, another thing I saw where a 11-year-old girl gets killed, 11 years old, gets killed in front of a Bronx hair salon. Why is this happening? I have a daughter. She's 11 years old. I would be, I mean, and I'm a, like, forget grief stricken. At what point are we going to get a handle on this? At what point is, is somebody going to sit down and say, you know what? The social justice warriors had their, shan their chance. They blew it. You literally are incentivizing crime with these ridiculous, ridiculous bail reform laws and raising of the age to where you're now enticing crime. And then if they do get pinched, you're downplaying the crime or doing these ridiculous plea deals, sometimes with or without the, the complainant or victim of the crime's like knowledge or consent. And then you're re-victimizing the victim because now you're not even taking them seriously. So what happens to them? And then you're mad when people leave the state. Well, why would you choose to live there if you had the, the resources to leave? Would you rather live somewhere where you have to worry about dodging bullets or being thrown on a train every day? Or go to a state where there is some type of law and order, where you can go to school, to places of worship or to work and not worried about being thrown in front of a train or catching a stream bullet. Just because, you know, people can do that, you know, criminals yeah. can do that because there's no, there's no harsh punishments for them. Well, it's, it's sad. And, and, you know, although I heard a few weeks ago, Robert De Niro's apartment got broken into by <laughs> some guy that had already been arrested 15 times or something like that. So maybe we've, we've reached a point where it'll, it'll start turning, but honestly, I think until Somebody like, uh, you know, Mayor Adams, and, and God forbid, I'm not wishing this on anybody, until somebody, like you said, until something happens to right. somebody at the top, you know, a relative or good friend of Alvin Bragg <laughs> is, me. is uh, you know, hurt or robbed or carjacked or somebody close to Mayor Adams is, is carjacked. Uh, and or you know like dodging bullets or something like that you know until mm -hmm. something like it to that level happens uh they're not going to do anything because like you said they're politically it is so um 
inconvenient for them because it, it yes. goes totally against their narrative. It exposes everything that they they stand for at the moment. And the lies. You yeah. know, but I, I think this immigration thing with them refusing to leave that four-star hotel, you know, for these uh, uh, horrible conditions, you know, that, that were down, that they had set up for them. But anyway, it's at some junction, the tough love has to come back. Yes. You know, the whole reason New York City, and, and, you know, Scott and I have talked about this multiple times. Back in the 80s and 90s, when it was... 2300 murders per year yes you know which is unfathomable you think that's like what is that four no eight murders a day somewhere around there i'd say about yeah trying to do the math in my mind it's like six yeah six to eight murders a day a day you know and then you talk about the manpower that's required for that to to actually process a, a a homicide crime scene you know can take days if you do it right, it it takes it, it takes a long a long time. It, it depends on the case, of course. But yeah, then, no, it does. You know, then when you you're talking detectives like you guys uh, are assigned to those, and then you're trying to you're trying to you know you don't have infinite sources or oh. resources, and and how do how do you when you have five? How many, well, let me ask you this: mm-hmm. when you had a homicide assigned to you. Is that the only case you were working until, you know, you, you either it went cold or, or something? Or did you have multiple homicides at, at one time that you had to work? So that's a very good question. And I don't think uh, it's talked about enough. So I was very fortunate. It also depends on a couple of variables. First variable is, well, what command are you in? The size of your squad, the size of your team, who's working, who's on vacation. So for example... There was one summer, I think it was like 2007-ish, where it was the only two catching detectives at the time were myself and my my old partner, Ransford. And I mean, there was like a week or two straight where it was like, all right, if you catch a homicide, usually what would happen is you get two working sets off. So in the detective squad, you worked four days, you were off two. So it was two nights, 4 p.m. to 1 a.m two days, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., and then two days off. So you'd have eight working days to work the homicide, you know, do what you could. And then you had an, an element from the homicide bureau. In my case, I worked in the bronze. So it would be bronze homicide. And the detective would attach to you and you would work the case together. Ultimate case responsibility was with me as the squad detective, but they were like a supportive supplemental unit and they would assist. But after that eight days, you're back on the catching sheet. Now, in this particular time in 2007, there was a week where I caught a shooting, Ransford caught a homicide, then I caught a homicide, and then he caught like a triple shooting. But it was going nuts. And like, all right, all right, right, take, you're in. <laughs> but when it comes down, it comes down, you know? But you work the cases, and ultimately there was a point where there was a lull in the action, and you just, you, you did the grind. I mean, Scott, I mean, the guy's a legend. He, he would tell you the same thing. So now, fast forward, that's back when it was a different era. All these discovery laws weren't in play. The race to age wasn't in play where if I, for example, hypothetically had a shooter and this person was 16 years of age, well, they will be tried as an adult because they discharged the firearm and they were identified and all the procedures went the right way and what have you. 
they were arrested, they were charged as an adult. Today's world, if you're 16, 17, I think even 18, I think it's like 19 or below or 20 or below, you do a shooting and you're under that, you're in that parameter, it goes to family court. You, you, it's, it's like a juvenile offense, which is crazy. And then <laughs> you get less of a sentence or lighter of a sentence. And depending on certain parameters, because, you know, it is what it is, it, you could be early release. Again, like programs, like there's no, there's no, like you said, there's no harsh punishment. There's no like, you know, I don't want to use the word hard knock, but like, it's true. There's, there's no severe repercussions for these actions. And it's said that we've come to this state. So now, again, back then where you can work your case and again, it didn't matter if there were, in my opinion, if you were in that 16, 17 year old range and you had a gun and you had the, the tenacity to shoot at or hit or kill someone, you should be tried as an adult. That's just my opinion. By coddling these offenses, you're only, you're only strengthening the criminal element of society and that's where we've gone wrong you know and now now look at tonight you i mean yes technology has evolved they are, i mean i can't say manpower because i believe the nypd is down as far as retirements retention of senior guys and recruitment um i'm sure somehow these voids are being filled into some capacity and they're trying to breast to be their best to bring back like anti-crime and all these other units that they had before this whole let's defund the police. But in my opinion, too little too late. You caused this. This is not going to be fixed overnight. This is going to take a while. And it starts with, okay, you've addressed the problem. You're trying to get the resources. Well, now you got to change the laws. Then when that happens, it slowly will start catching up to itself. Then you make it insightful to be in the law enforcement profession in these states. You mentioned real quick, I don't want to go off on a tangent, 2,300 homicides or something like that that Scott gave you. Well, how many homicides did Chicago have last year? It was like somewhere around 1,700 to 2,000. I mean, they had, I mean, how many people were getting shot and killed in Chicago? Yeah, it's insane. Mayor Lightfoot, there's nothing to see here. (laughs) What do you mean there's nothing to see here? He's out dancing in the streets, man. Yeah, uh, I give up your day job. <laughs> In my opinion, you give up your day job and uh, start helping your cops out. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.